Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. My guest today is Tony Diamond. Thank you for listening. I know it's been a little erratic, folks, uh, in terms of the release dates, going through a little uh, personal stuff here at the homestead, but uh, it's all settled in now, I think. Home is a little unsettled, and you'd think somebody who travels enough as much as me uh, would handle uh, his home life being a little unsettled, but suffice it to say, I had a lot uh, going on. So I've let a lot of things slide, and this podcast was one of them. I've tried to get it on on Mondays, but the last couple times it's been Thursdays, and this is now a Thursday when you're listening to this. So I apologize for that. I'm headed out of town tomorrow. Very excited about it. Uh, July 4th is coming up. Can you believe June is almost done? Half this year shot in the ass. I know it's not good to think of it that way, but uh, it is. It's gone. Flies by. Time just flies. I hope you're gearing up for a lot of travel this summer. If you're a regular listener, you know me. You know I like to travel during the shoulder seasons in the spring and the fall. Great deals to be had. I try to avoid summer travel uh, as much as I can just because uh, of the airfares, um, the crowds. But the airlines really got you coming or going in the summertime because every family in the world is taking their summer break or at least in the northern hemisphere and they're going somewhere so everything's crowded which is why i'm getting on a plane tomorrow and going back to chicago because of family i'm going to chicago and michigan to see my family mom is turning 80 this summer very excited about that she's doing great Uh, my brother's turning 50 which uh, means we're all getting older We're all getting older, and uh, even though I've been to uh, many exotic places around the world, I think that a big part of travel is, of course, family. Seeing family, getting together with your loved ones or friends or whoever, it's now easier than ever to see your friends and family around the world. Do it when you can. I know, uh, like I said, I've been to a lot of places, but um, those of you who are regular listeners know that I took my mom to Ireland this uh, past fall, back in October, and um, and I look back on that, of all these trips that I've taken and all these countries I've visited, uh, sharing that time with my mom, the most alone time and together time we've had, maybe ever, um, and uh, to see her uh, dreams come true of seeing Ireland and, and to be able to make that happen was an extremely rewarding thing. So travel, family, loved ones, uh, it's what it's all about. So that being said, I'm only going for about five days in Chicago because that's all I can handle. No, I'm not kidding. Um, a lot of it had to do with flights. A lot of it had to do with taking care of stuff here. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Seeing the whole family up from Florida, going to Michigan, jumping in that icy cold lake. Apparently, it's like 58 degree lake, Lake Michigan, where they're at. Oh, boy. But as always, going back to Chicago, my hometown, one of the best cities in this country, if not the world, I always look forward to that. I think I won't be able to make a Cubs game, though, this trip, which I'm very disappointed about. 
But hey, maybe if I'm having a great time, I'll stay longer. That's not my only trip planned this summer. I have a big one planned at the end of August. Again, going against my summer travel rule, but when I tell you about it in later weeks, you will understand what I'm talking about. I also actually have a plug. I am going to be on NBC's Last Comic Standing starting July 22nd, and I don't know what episode I'm going to be on. I don't know how they will edit it. I don't know how much of me made the final cut. I have on good authority that I will be in the show, so that's good. (laughs) And uh, you should see it, because um, people are always asking me, hey, Mike, where can we see you on TV? Well, I'm telling you right now. I also have a La Quinta Hotels commercial on uh, on the air right now, and so uh, that's a funny one. And you can see that on my website, my personal showbiz website at funnymike.com. There's a YouTube link there. And since we're talking websites, why don't we talk about the Travel Tales website, TravelTalesPodcast.com. There you'll find articles, you'll find photos, you'll find recommendations, and you will see our guests' articles uh, and photos of our guests and links to all our social media. And that is, of course, Twitter, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. Links to our Facebook page, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. And if you're on iTunes, I ask this all the time, but maybe you can help a brother out. Give us a good rating, huh? Say a few nice things. That helps people find the show because it boosts our presence, and that's always a cool thing. If you want to write me, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. One of the reasons for my erratic release dates on this uh, podcast is that I was updating the technology as well. So I've been doing a little computer work, and my uh, operating system is now updated, and I'm uh, getting some new Skype recording technology. So if you are out there, think you'd be a good guest, or you know somebody who'd be a good guest, and you have Skype capabilities, and have a good mic on your end. I'm finding that's the secret with uh, Skype recording. You guys uh, need a good mic. I got one here, but if you're talking to a little uh, laptop speaker or uh, uh, like a phone, it doesn't, uh, doesn't sound good. But if you got a good mic, ooh, it's like you're right in the studio here with me. So hit me up with some guest ideas at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. As for our guest today, a longtime friend of mine, an old comedy buddy from Chicago who's lived out in L.A. a long time. He's actually an L.A. native, Tony Diamond. And in an odd show business move, he left Los Angeles to go to Chicago to start comedy. And not uh, Second City either. He just uh, did stand-up. And uh, he continued it. He worked a bit around the Midwest. And then we all came back to L.A., or in his case, came back. And uh, he's a TV producer now. does a lot of reality shows, a lot of the shows on the road, uh, House Hunters International, Island Hunters, which he talks about a lot on here, and a few others. So... It was great to see him. Glad he could stop in. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mr. Tony Diamond. Tony Diamond, welcome. Thank you for doing the podcast, finally. I'm sorry I didn't ask you earlier. That's okay. And you have just come back from what? You were in the islands. Uh, my last trip was, I just came back from Tahiti. And which shows were this for? What that was show for? was for Island Hunters Island for Hunters. HGTV. Okay. Now, this is people buying entire islands or are they houses on these islands? Well... I am not familiar with the show. I'm I'll explain the show. It's a variety of things. Um, first, the show is not unlike House Hunters International or House Hunters, where it's people looking to buy an island. Right. 
So the same format where they look at three islands. Some islands don't have anything on them. Some islands have a home, a guest home, all sorts of things on the property, and some have nothing. They have to build. So that's the idea. For Tahiti, there's also episodes where they do these – the people are looking for the ultimate vacation rental. So they go to semi-private to private islands all over the world, and they're looking for – the greatest place to stay for like a week. Okay. So they spend like twenty grand for a week. We were at the Four Seasons. We were at St. Regis Island. We were at different private islands, semi-private islands within Tahiti. I didn't think like actual islands for sale is that big of a, a deal, like that big of a market. There's lots of uh, private islands for sale all over the world. And, and these are uninhabited or are they? They're inhabited. Well, like I said, some... For those episodes that are for sale, the sale episodes, right. those are people buying an acre, quarter of an acre, sometimes larger, sometimes give or take, um, and those are just basically pieces of property that are you know, in the middle of, of a lake, middle of the ocean, and they're private islands. And so people are buying those, and sometimes, again, like they have structures on them. Sometimes they're, they have nothing. They have to build everything. Now, what does an island go for in general? What is, what's an island go for? Well, you'd be surprised, actually. We did episodes in Canada, in northern Ontario, and some of the islands people were looking at were in the half a million dollar range to 450, somewhere seven-figure properties. Uh, so it's really the gamut. And what I found interesting, having not done the show before that, was that they're actually – it didn't just cater to the super wealthy. Like there's you know people buying islands that, can, that have, aren't from great wealth. Right. Because you think if somebody says, I'm going to buy an island, you've got to think, wow, they're loaded. Right. right? You, they're like billionaires. You'd think. But you and don't have to be. You don't have to be. And there's some, there's some properties that are, you have to be a billionaire to own them uh, in the Maldives and Middle East and certain other parts of the world where they're very, very – or even in Florida where they're really expensive. But there's also parts of the world that we were in Nicaragua, on Lake Nicaragua, and they were like U.S. dollar again – Gotta remember exactly, but approximately around the four hundred and fifty thousand dollar range to seven hundred thousand dollars. So, what are the typical buyers for? I guess HGTV has its own kind of uh, parameters on who they want. It's, I'm guessing it's mostly Americans buying these things, or well, you know, actually for House Hunters International, for both shows, it is the gamut because they're both global shows. Oh, so okay, House Hunters International, for instance has couples that live in Europe buying other places in Europe or they move to the States um, or there's people who live in Australia who are buying a house in the south of France. So it's really the gamut. Then there's a, there's a huge population of people who have been on the show who are from the States who have moved overseas. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And so what have you learned about uh, like the real estate overseas and people buying real estate overseas that you didn't know before you started shooting this show? Well, again, I, I really realized that, like, for instance, it's not really that, all that places like Nicaragua and Canada and other parts in, like, in, um, like South America where you can buy an island and it's actually pretty affordable. Right. Kind of comparable, even like less than a house in the San Fernando Valley. <laughs> so, you know, when you think about it, it's, like, it's actually – it's not that undoable if you save and you, you know, if you're looking for a home in the valley, you could probably afford an island in northern Canada, parts of South America, uh, sorry, parts of Central America, excuse me. 
Have you thought about it? Like something you would, would you even in your mind have thought like, this is doable? Could you, would you have done that? You know, I would, you You know, it's, uh, it all depends though. You got to think about a lot of things, especially if you're buying places in other parts of the world. Canada's, you know, pretty doable in terms of like accessibility, you know, maintenance, things that you need, caretakers, things that you, you know. Infrastructure. The the infrastructure, exactly right. You know, there's plumbing, there's places. The electricity won't go off every hour. Correct. There's places where, you know, um, they're off the grid and there's certain places where they can draw power from the mainland. So there's things I learned about that in terms of like, I always think to myself beforehand, like, wow, who, one of those things where it, it sounds better in, in theory than it does in exactly. practice, like, like the day-to-day. Oh, now I have an island. For instance, the, one of the first ones I did was a guy, he bought an island, northern Canada, uninhabited, like four acres, and he had to start from scratch. Like he had to figure out how to get power, Everything. water. Water. Power, water. Nothing came directly to the island. Whereas some places, they have the infrastructure to do that. He had to start from scratch, and it was like a big, imagine like a, 40, a four-acre forest that he was also going to gut most most of it to build a home mm-hmm. and guest house and things that he wanted. So he was literally starting from scratch. And he, did he do it? Did he build He's doing it? it. Oh, my gosh. How do you build, like, a power plant? What do you do? You need, like, fuel, right? You need... Well, sometimes they're, they're that if you yeah you need fuel for that unless you want to go super eco and he's going to do it all like solar or most of them are solar. A lot of places, in Canada, a lot of places that I went to are solar powered. Wow, um, yeah, not all the islands, but a lot of the islands that I went to drew power from solar. So when you have your own island, is there? I know you still have to follow the country's rules that it's in, but I mean, can you just like make your own? I don't know. Laws. <laughs> I'm thinking like Island of Doctor Moreau. You know, just like I'm gonna, I'm right. gonna rule like a king. <laughs> you know what I mean? We talked about that. You know, something that we, we would joke about, like creating your own, not empire, your own, your own empire, like the man who would be king. Yeah, like you ship people <laughs> in. Like now you're in real trouble because it's my way. <laughs> right, I'm gonna right. behead you. Yeah, but you still have to follow the country's rules that govern the. Are any of these like? In, in, say, international waters that aren't governed by countries? Well, you got to buy it from someone, I guess. I don't know. You do. It's a good question. And the episodes that I did were in Canada, Central America, and then some domestically as well. Right. So we did episodes in Ohio. We did episodes... There's uh, islands, the islands of Ohio, like in, in the lake? On Buckeye Lake. There's a few islands that are for sale on Buckeye Lake. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... The ones that were overseas were in Nicaragua, Canada, Belize, and then Tahiti. Okay. Right. Tahiti sounds like a nice gig. Tell me about going there. I still haven't been. Tahiti is amazing. Uh, it's really an interesting place uh, in that, like, you know, it's, it's like a mixture of anywhere else you've gone to where there's a mixture of, like, you see, you know, you're driving from the the airport to where you're staying and not like if you've been to Mexico or South America where you see a little bit of, you see a lot of poverty and then you go to this un- unbelievably like plush resort. So right. it still blows me away when I go to these places. I was in Mazatlan in November and from the airport to the place we were staying, like, Oh, there's like different little pockets of places that were rural and like houses that look like they're made of clay. And then you get to these amazing resorts where it's just off the charts and beautiful ocean. And, and that's what Tahiti was like for me as we started getting, you know, we landed. And Tahiti was interesting. We, these were these episodes where um, 
they were for people looking for a vacation. So we went to these four to five star resorts everywhere we went, and we took it was two inter, it was two international flights and then six domestic flights in between. So every other day or every two days we were jump we were taking a boat to the mainland, taking a shuttle to an airport even or a landing strip, jumping on a plane, and then doing the same thing over again, going to a landing strip, taking a shuttle to a dock, and then taking a boat to an island. Now, I've shot stuff for HGTV, and they didn't put us up in super, fam- super fancy places. Where do they put you up? Like, where's the crew stay in Tahiti? Well, we were fortunate that because we were filming on some of these really plush high-end resorts, uh, we were staying on those resorts. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah. And you're there without a lady. Without a lady. I have my lady back here, but not no. <laughs> this romantic island. It's all honeymooners. Unbel- I mean, um, imagine like the most romantic, beautiful place. One of the most romantic, beautiful places on the earth. And that's where I was. And, and you're was with some smelly cameraman. Very smelly cameraman. <laughs> What's a typical work day? I mean, how long, how long of a day are you putting Typically in? Typically, they're, you know, they're, they're, I don't know if you've ever seen HD, you know, well, you know the show, you know, you know the network. The format is you do, they're basically like 12 hour days. Mm-hmm. So we have to do, tour these islands, tour these properties, both inside and out, and then we have to cover it um, very thoroughly. So we have to cover not only the inside of the properties and the houses and the, and the hotels and the, the rooms and the kitchens and the dining rooms and the, all that, but also cover the entire island as well. Who was the worst person you ever had on camera, and how did they react? Well, interestingly enough, that was for not Island Hunters, but a different show, and we were in Guam. I spent about three weeks in Guam. What's that like? We'll get to that later. Tell me about this guy. Well, this, this, it, so Guam, it was for, for, for the House Hunters International show. And we did a couple episodes, each with a couple looking for a place. They were there for various reasons. One was in the military. Another couple, the, guy, the husband was a pilot. But the, the real estate agent we used in both episodes, she was from Remax. And it was pretty brutal. She was brutal. She <laughs> was not good. You know, there's the format of how... You're supposed to answer these questions if you watch these shows. They're kind of narrative. Right. So you ask, you know. And you kind of repeat the question in your answer. Repeat the question in your answer. And so you're narrating. You're telling the story for us. And these are stories. So even like everything is a story. So tell us about, let's start from the beginning. So tell us about the first property we're going to see. What are we seeing? What are you going to show them first? And then she just, it was just, it was so painful to extrapolate information from her because she had a really bad memory. And for instance, like one of the homes had a rental price of $2,700. And for some reason, she had $2,400 in her head. And she kept saying that. And I'm like, no, let's, let's stop down real quick. It's $2,700. You're doing fine, but it's $2,700. <laughs> and she couldn't do it. And, and she would stop and look to me. You know, we were, we were filming and she would look to me to – the, the couple would ask her a question about the property that she found. And she's a, a real Remax real estate agent, and just clammed up, couldn't do it. She oh, would look to no. me like I don't know the answer. It's like okay, let's stop down, and we'd have to go look the answer up, or like I have to say, this is what you do. Like you know, she would constantly ask, "How should I answer these questions?" Like, well, we're following you do this tour, so you're a real estate agent. I don't know what this property, the details of this property. You found these properties for this couple. So just pretend that we're not here and show this prop, show the couple the property and answer their questions accordingly. It's like, oh, right. And then she would do okay. Then he would, she would forget. So she was really difficult. Um, but I'll tell you this. We did two episodes there. 
And one of the ones that we did turned out to be the highest rated episode of 2014. Why, why that one in particular? I don't know. That's, I don't know. I don't think Are people just fascinated by Guam? I guess so. I, just, I am. I, I, don't, I don't know anything about it. it was, and, and that was the one where we did two episodes, and I just didn't feel good about it. Like, I just was like, it was a little off to me. Like, the couple was very sweet, but very, like, they were very, they seemed very forced once we were rolling. Okay. They were kind of Aussie and Harriet, and they were corny jokes. And, you know, you either get the people who clam up and, know not, and can't do it, or people who go the extra mile and are a little too animated and a little too jokey and that's kind of right. how he was the, the husband in this in this couple here um but i'd rather have them be that way than give me nothing yeah you can always tone them down tone them down so i'd say you're at 11 let's bring it down to a nine and he kind of understood <laughs> that and he would do it and but they were very aussie and harry like oh shucks i don't know which house we're gonna pick like that was that's kind of a quote from them and i was like oh this isn't gonna they're gonna hate this in, in the post department and edit the show i might oh i can just imagine now but Lo and behold, people highest, highest rated episode of 2014. So Guam, what is it? How does that compare to like Tahiti? What does that mean? Like Tahiti, I heard is very expensive and very fancy, like more higher end, where you you know like go to Bora Bora and you got the uh, stilts with the cottages over the stilts. Yeah, and uh, but Guam is it that fancy? I mean, Guam is not fancy. Uh, there are parts of Guam that look like. I just picture it as a big giant naval base. It's like, not. Uh, it's you know there's there's the touristy areas that are that kind of look like kind of reminded me this one particular tourist area kind of reminded me of Sydney, um, the shopping district, and then there's parts that are pretty rural. Um, we were we did two episodes, so we saw six properties and three on each, and they were the gamut of real nice places and not so great places and places that are on the water and some places a little more inland with views and we saw a house that looked like a house you'd find in the hills you know maybe in the palisades right that looked over the water and then there were places that looked like they're something you'd see in van nuys <laughs> and guam is a u.s protectorate or property? territory territory yeah. so people there are citizens oh yeah uh, there's the there, there's the local Chamorro um, people that are U.S. citizens, and then there's a lot of people that are there from that live there that are that are from the Navy. Like we did two couples. One he was um, he was a pilot for United, and they live. They have a house in Michigan, and they're he got reassigned, and his choice was New Jersey, Newark, or Guam. <laughs> wow. So it that's was two, the gamut. It was a two-year assignment, and they chose Guam. Why wouldn't you? Of course. I've been not? to Newark. I would choose Guam. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, I mean, is it like... But there's got to be a giant naval... There's a U.S. naval base there's there. A, there's a yeah. few naval bases. Uh, we kind of stuck to the coastal areas for the most part. So in the naval, we... My director of photography and I, on the last day, rented a car, and we drove, did some sightseeing on our last day, and we saw the base. But you can't really get into it. It's more of like big you know obviously it's chained off so you can't really see much of it but you can kind of see like where it is and it's pretty far inland right okay well that sounds nice guam you know we went to areas that were really beautiful and certain areas that weren't so beautiful and that's just kind of i guess anywhere you go are you getting the uh, freaking flyer miles i have i now i have quite a bit um mainly on american and some on united a little bit on delta but mainly united and americans where i have the most as a TV producer for reality shows, is there a gig that you look at and go, I would never want to do that? 
gig. You know, I, I really fell into something that I really like doing, like this part of the House Hunters International, the Island Hunters, and these shows are, as a producer, there, first of all, there's not a lot of like things you have to create. It is what it is. They're looking for a home, and you know, there's variations of that, of course, but they're, they're, it's true to, to you know, more or less what they're doing. Um, so there's not a lot of fakeness to the show in terms of having to be produced, which I like. Uh, you're not dealing with – it's a very small crew, so – Like how many? Have, well, there's myself on House Hunters International. There's myself, one cameraman, one sound man, and a local PA. Okay. That's it? Yeah. yeah. And then on Island Hunters, it's two cameras, one sound, and myself and a local PA. So no makeup or anything like that? None of that. Okay. No grips, no no lighting people, guys, no lighting guys. It's just us. So it's small, which is very containable. I don't, you know. So it's I call it low impact producing, in that it's not, you know, we've done these shows or you've been maybe part of these shows that are these behemoths mm-hmm. with lots of people, and they become very stressful, and people stress over things that are not really something you should stress over, <laughs> uh, and this is not that. I mean, we have we have to get what we need to get in our time frame, and that can, can become stressful because it's amazing how, you know, 9 o'clock, 9 a.m. can all of a sudden become 10.30 and we've not done anything yet. And, like, guys, we really have to – come on, let's keep going because you're setting up or you have to change locations or audio's not working here or whatever it is, and all of a sudden you've eaten away at an hour and a half. So that part can be stressful realizing, okay, you know, it's November. It gets dark at 4.30, so we have, we have a lot to get before the sun goes down. Yeah. So – and – to be within our 12-hour day. For me, the nightmare would be deadliest catch. A, because I get seasick, and B, it's freezing. Freezing. I can't imagine doing that show. I, I give it, it up. It the worst. Yeah, I know a few people have done that show, and I have the utmost respect for them because it's real. <laughs> you are on the boat, and you're, what you're seeing is really what's happening, and you're either shooting or you're behind the guy shooting, and that's really happening. So let's talk about you. Let's go to the uh, Tony Diamond story. Talk to me. Okay, an L.A. native. You actually grew up out here. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. Whoa. Give me the uh, hand signal for uh, Van Nuys. What is it? Oh, yeah, the V. In the- <laughs> I wish you could see this because it's amazing. <laughs> the, uh, but then we met in Chicago because you left. This is, uh, this is an odd story. You left Los Angeles to do show business elsewhere. I did. I, You're uh, already here, and you left to go to Chicago. Why? Well, I had started doing stand-up in high school and then throughout uh, college, and I had been doing it for in L.A. for the longest time. And one of these things were I was in school, I was going to school, working, and then doing stand-up at night. And then after school, when I wasn't in school anymore after college, I had some job, and then I would do stand-up at night. And I just felt like I was on one of those treadmills that was never going anywhere. I was just kind of spinning my wheels and... I was getting really tired of living in Los Angeles, and I wanted to live somewhere else, and I went to school here. So I was like, I want to go be somewhere else. And I had two longtime friends from summer camp who lived in Chicago, and I called them. They were a married couple, and they said, move in. We have a guest room. Live with us. Do whatever you need to do. Is that your phone? That's my phone. Nice. Very it's professional. Silent, but it's on the— He's uh, a professional producer, ladies right, and gentlemen. Right. And it's on the— uh, Jesus. <laughs> Here, here's your phone. Take your damn phone. Get back in your shine box. Uh, <laughs> so as a kid growing up in Los Angeles, what was your first impressions of Chicago and like the Midwest in general? 
Well, I came to Chicago to visit the first time in July of 1994 over 4th of July weekend. And I had a blast. We went to parties. We went to um, – my friend had a friend who had a boat. So we went sailing. We went mm-hmm. to, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, if we did it there – at that time or when I moved there, that the World Cup was playing in Chicago. It's yeah, it would be right? 94. 94. So I went to a, I went to a, uh, I went to a World Cup game. We saw Germany, Germany versus – Germany was there. I remember that. I can't remember who they were, but we were sitting in the German section and, you know... Um, fun. Fun. Three Jews in the German section. Woohoo! Great. Yeah. Um, Sieg so, Heil! Sieg Heil! Juden! Achtung! Schnell! Yeah, so that was, that was... It was a blast, and I couldn't wait. To, and that was when I decided that I was going to move there. So I quickly, like, you know, gathered up my... Came back to L.A., packed up my life, and then in September, beginning of September, I, I was drove my little Honda Civic packed everything in my car and drove cross country. And the, and the idea would be to be living in Chicago, base, be based there, and then do stand-up throughout the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And on my way, I, my last night, I stopped in Omaha. And my last night was in a Motel 6, actually in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Um, and Omaha's right across the yep. river right there, right? So I was looking through the yellow pages before internet and like, where could I do stand-up? And there was a club called the Spaghetti Works. I played that room. Yeah. And I called and asked if I could do a guest set. And they said, sure. And before that, I was tired. I'd been driving. I had driven like 700 miles a day. So it was 12 hours or whatever it was, 14 Absolutely. hours. So I was really tired. And I was like, you know, my choices were either to stay in that hotel room, get a Domino's pizza and watch. Oh, there was this Wesley Snipes movie on. I can't remember what it was. Um, <laughs> or go to do this a club set somewhere. or do a set. So I gathered up the stones and the energy and I... Got myself out, and I went and found the club and did this guest set, and it went really well. And the guy who booked the room was like, you did a great job. We'll book you back here. And it turned out the middle act I was working with, um, he was also staying at the Motel 6 with me. So we went back to the Motel 6, and he's like, again, we got along really well. He was a nice guy. Uh, and he gave me a list. I think I still have the – I think I ripped out a, a back page of the of the yellow pages <laughs> or something. Uh, and I wrote down all these places, these bookers. He's like, here's a list. He gave me all this list. And he goes, okay, now this guy, tell him I said – tell him you know me. This guy you can call. Don't tell this guy you know me. He doesn't like me. But then – so yeah, yes, no, yes, no. But call all of them. But this guy you can – you know, I'll be your reference. And he – this guy was great. Not only did I get more work out of the Spaghetti Works – um, but this guy, through his relationships with these Midwest bookers, Yoder and whoever, yeah. I started getting work pretty pretty soon after I got to Chicago. No, no, you haven't even gotten to town yet, and no. you got a gig. Absolutely. That's great. He, the guy already booked me in the Spaghetti Works. He said, come back, and we talked about dates back at that Omaha. And then there was one, I think they had one in Lincoln, Nebraska, and then they had one in Des Moines. Yeah. So there was three, right? Yep. One eventually, I think they're all gone now, but the... The one in Lincoln actually closed before I got a chance to work it. Like it was, I was booked there, then I went out. But I worked the one in Des Moines a couple times, and then I worked the one in Omaha a few times. Wow. And, and that, that one, man was George Carlin. <laughs> That's right, George Carlin. Uh, and you don't remember who it was? You do remember who it was. I have to give me some time to think about it. I think about him once in a while. And right now that I'm being pressured, I can't remember his name. <laughs> That's really it. Uh, Mark. That's not going to help at all. Did but. you deal, how'd you deal with your first Chicago winner? The first Chicago winter was very tough. Being from Southern California, yeah. it was really tough. Um, 
so I, I had a really hard time because it was not only was it cold, it was really, really cold. Like I was not, I was not ready for it. So nobody is usually. No, I was not ready for the depth of the coldness <laughs> of the Chicago winter. And then humidity in the summer. And humidity in the summer. You never did. You realize how good you had it out here. I don't think L.A. natives or California natives really appreciate. They don't until they move to some place like Chicago. Yeah, where there's actual really, weather. Where there's actual real weather. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Chicago is an amazing place. I learned a lot, and it was one of the best things I ever did for myself. You know, I went to school in L.A., so I didn't really get that going away to college kind of feel. So right. Chicago, and I was still relatively young, so I really was able to go there and do stand up and come back and. You know, it was one of the greatest things about being a working comic in Chicago is I'd be away for 10 days, whatever it was, a week or a few days. And then if I didn't have anything booked right away, I can come back to the city and know – like the greatest thing was, okay, I would come back and be gone for a week and know that I had a week off at home. Then I'd be back out for three weeks. So in that week, I could do anything I really wanted and not feel guilty that on a Wednesday I could be at a bar until yeah. <laughs> 2 or 3 in the morning and not feel like I had to get up and go to a job the next day. And you can do that really, now, you know. I can do that now. <laughs> But then I was young. I was like liberating yeah. to go. But now you feel guilty. Now you feel really guilty doing it. I feel more guilty now than I did then. Then I like I had I at one point I'm like, wait a minute, I can do this and not feel guilty because my job is to do this. I have a week off, and then I'm going to go back out and I'm going to go to you know Iowa, wherever I, you know my route was pretty <laughs> much the, every midwestern city. You know, mainly Indiana, Ohio, Wisconsin. Went to Wisconsin a lot. We all went there a yeah. lot. Yeah. Okay, so now you moved back, and you've been in Santa Monica ever since. I have. And you are a beach guy. You don't want to live anywhere, like, even west of, as we say, east of Lincoln. I do not want to live east of Lincoln. Which is probably, like, an eight-block distance from the beach. Right. Coming here, I started to shake. I know. And my car started to shake (laughs) as I got a little bit further. The more east I went, the more, like, you know, the more stressful, you know, like, oh, wait a minute. Where am I going? I don't even recognize where I am anymore. So you would think that you would be like a big time like surfer or water guy, but you're not really. You just like being by the beach, right? I do. I I I, I like it too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's just I, some I mean, about it that calms me. And, calms me, and I and I'm in the ocean a lot in the summer. I don't always have my board. Um, I need to be better at at taking my board out because I've, I I feel whenever I'm I'm. You know, whenever I have my board, I'm in the water. I always feel like Chevy Chase from Foul Play because I'm constantly just tripping over myself. <laughs> you know, the my leash gets caught up in my ankle and I fall, and it just it's a mess. I don't have great balance out there, so I get frustrated very easily because I feel very foolish and very clumsy in the water. Um, so that just takes me going out there every day and just doing it and doing it and doing it. I know that that will snap out and I'll be fine. But growing up in the Midwest, we always like assumed that people who live in California. They all know how to surf, like you do it from an early age. But you were in the valley. You weren't a big – did your family go to the ocean much? Or did we went you? to the beach quite a bit. I used to take the bus to the beach wow. when I was old enough to start taking the bus, junior high. And, and then before I was driving in high school, uh, we would take the bus from Sherman Oaks, California to Santa Monica. Sherman Oaks. Uh-huh. That's one of those places that just makes me think of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah. You know, uh, it was just on. I was on, I was on a plane just – a week ago, and I watched it uh, going coming home from uh, Wisconsin. Actually. That was on a plane. Yep, unedited too. Really? Yeah. Holds up. I see it. it. Still makes me laugh. It still makes me laugh. It's still funny. Sean Penn never been better. Never. And and I heard that even then you had to call him Spicoli. <laughs> 
So the Cameron Crow, he snuck into one of the high schools. The, uh, the, the movie was based on an article he wrote for Rolling Stone. I thought it was a, a well, he wrote the book. Well, it was. I think it was a, first a story, or maybe they printed an excerpt from it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he wrote it because he was posing as a student. That's right. At one of the high schools in the Valley. Do you remember which one? I don't know. I which maybe it was like Van Nuys or Canoga Park or one of those. I don't think it was Van Nuys, although the, the movie was filmed in Van Nuys, the school that I went to. Oh, okay. That yeah. must have been a big deal when it came out then. It was. Yeah, we all saw it, a bunch of my friends who, uh, you know, I mean, it was filmed, and it was filmed actually, it's funny because the exterior of the mall was the Santa Monica Santa Monica place, place yeah. That's but the gone. mall was the Sherman Oaks Galleria, the Cor- inside of it. That's right. So you must have known like every location that they went through, just driving down the street. The high school and the mall was like, oh my God. I mean, it was just my backyard. <laughs> so that was kind of fun. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So you're back in LA. You start working as a TV producer. Um, let's get it back to travel. Where have you gone since and what are some of the highlights of places that you've been? Some of your favorite places. I think my favorite place to work, and I've been, again, it's just been blessed. Or pleasure. Work or pleasure. Well, I, you know, honestly, the main traveling that I've done has been through work. You know, our you know mutual friends have gone to all these great places, and for the longest time I was very, not envious, but like, you know, very happy for them, but also like, oh, man, I really like to get more into traveling. Friends of mine that worked on Survivor that have gone all over the planet, these amazing places, and uh you know, I was always trying to kind of get into more of the international travel, but for work. And mm-hmm. then I was blessed to start working on these HGTV shows, House Hunters International. And I guess my favorite place still is, um, I'd say, Belize or Costa Rica. They're nice. They're really nice. They're nice. And we were talking about this earlier off uh, off mic, but uh, about the expats and so many expats from America buying down there in, se- in Central America Belize and Costa Rica especially. Yep. Were those, uh, well, house hunters, were these retirees mostly going down there to buy? The couple that we filmed in Costa Rica, uh, they were a couple, um, they were retiring a little bit early. You know, they're still not, they're like in their mid to late 50s. And uh, he had a thriving business and he sold the business, his business with his partner, sold it to his partner, sold their house, sold everything except one car, liquidated, and moved to moved to Costa Rica to Guanacosta. Okay, I've never been to Guanacosta. Where? What side is that on? I want to say it's on the water. Yeah, okay. but I want to say probably it's the on, Pacific. I believe side. so. Okay. And what did you think? Is this like a big surf spot? Because that's where I went to surf camp down there. But I don't know if it was. I was in the where Nicoya I was. I didn't see a lot of people surfing. Okay. No. And our hotel was on the water, and there was no one. It was kind of more of a. You know, it wasn't very big waves where I was. It's odd because of the locals down there, a lot of them you know, will never, ever be able to afford those big houses in their own country. You know, so how, how do you find that they react to all these people coming in there and buying? You know, the only experience I've had with the locals have always been positive experiences, honestly. Like the people are very warm and welcoming because they're going to bring in money to the, to the economy. And I think they're more aware of that. Um, I really haven't really been part of any or witnessed any like jealousy or any kind of problems with the locals having any problems with the people buying Americans coming in and buying because you know thank god the people that I've dealt with have all the the, the Americans have all been very nice to the locals you know unfortunately sometimes we get a bad rap maybe when you're a tourist or when you're on vacation of the ugly american oh, yeah. Going to these places, I've been to Cancun. I've seen oh, that's horrible. People act horribly to the locals, horribly, and yeah. not just like young kids, but also like older couples and just like treating them just terribly. So, 
I think in this instance, I, had, I, didn't, get a chance, I didn't see that. So our, our couple was very nice, um, very accommodating to the locals, and, and they were accommodating to them, knowing that they would pour money into their, to their economy and their businesses. And Didn't you go to the Maldives? Did not go to the Maldives. Oh, I thought you did. We were supposed to go to the Maldives, and we didn't wind up going to that, too, there. If you had to pick one place in the world where you wanted to go, not for work, but just to go anywhere, where, where would it be? You know, it would actually be, I've never been to Israel, so I really want to do... Really? You didn't do the birthright thing? I didn't, didn't do, do birthright. Now I'm way too old for it. And I, uh, <laughs> to get somebody to pay for it? Totally. And, oh, yes, absolutely. And I wanted to go... I was supposed to take a teen group there in 1990, and the Persian, War, uh, Persian Gulf War broke out, right. and they canceled the trip. Mm. So I was supposed to take like 15 teenagers to D.C. and then Israel. A lot of uh, uh, Israeli women would like to uh, marry a nice uh, American boy. So well, there's you, that. you might clean up over there. I should clean up. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I never studied. Did you go to, like, were you, did you go to temple growing up a lot? I did. I was bar mitzvah and confirmed. You know, we're, we're reformed, so it was the reformed <laughs> version of, of uh, Jewish right. education, but, you know, educated yeah, nonetheless. So it was Jew light. Jew light. Yeah. <laughs> That's reform Judaism is Jew light for sure. But is it mostly like a spiritual reason for, for wanting to go? Yeah. For me, it's just spiritual. Uh, you know, I just ran into a friend of mine who's also a spiritual Jew, more of a Buddhist, and he spent about three or four weeks there and just fell in love with the whole country. He just said it's an amazing place. And for him, not really much to do with the religious aspect of it, but more about the beauty of the country and then the impact you have to realize if you are Jewish – what that means to be in Israel and be a Jew, whether you're a practicing Jew or a, f- a person of faith. Or, or you. Or me. <laughs> yeah. More right. traditional, I guess. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Where is one place you've been that you'd be happy if you never went back to? You'd be okay if you never went back to? It's a good question. Uh, I, you know, I would say I don't really have much of a need to go back to Guam. Okay. <laughs> Guam was great, but I don't know, unless it was for work, I don't know that I would go back. Not that you have a reason to go back if you weren't there in some kind of work capacity. Uh, every place else I've been lucky. Again, you know, I don't know that I'd go back. This was, you know, working domestically. I don't know that I would want to go back to the Buckeye Lakes of <laughs> yeah, Ohio, right. Columbus. I can pass on that. Uh, exactly. Favorite uh, food of any country you've been to? Another good question. What's I would say, uh, you know, I eat a lot of fish. So I've been fortunate to go to a lot of places that are along the islands. Perfect island, absolutely. So I'd say probably my favorite place for the food was actually Belize. Really? Yep. I found it. I mean, I was in Key Cocker. You know where that that didn't go to Key Cocker. Okay, but I mean, of course, you're down by the sea. You're Mm -hmm. you're on an island, and so fish was great. But I don't remember it being a complete, overly standout of. Other islands. So what did you find out? What did you really think about it that blew you away there? Uh, well, you know, we would – first, we were on the mainland before we went off to these islands. And we were staying at this this resort. And, you know, we were fortunate to have, you know, these meals that were not compensated, not, not comp for us, but like at a – you know, we were so very affordable. So it just like with these buffets of fresh fish. So we'd see them catching fish, cooking it, and then that's what we would have for dinner and lunch. And it was just just amazing, like the fresh fish, fresh vegetables. It was just an amazing. You're a sushi fan, big fan of sushi. So you haven't been to Japan? 
have not. Oh, well, you you got to go. You would love it. Yeah, that's another. I mean, there's so many places again that I would. I mean, of course, I want to go everywhere. I want to see everything. Sure. And I've been fortunate that I've been doing falling into this where I'm being paid to go, which is an amazing experience, and I'm blessed to do that. Um, but I definitely want to go. My girlfriend is from the Philippines, and she wants us to go there. So we're going to go to the Philippines at some point. I've never been, so I'm excited about doing that. Uh, and I do want to get more into traveling just for me, for pleasure, as opposed to work. Working is pleasurable, and I get to do these great things. But I definitely want to go more just for myself. And Japan is definitely probably top of the list. Can you ever tie it in with uh, work trips? Like saying, okay, we're going to shoot for four days, but then the crew is going to go back, and I'm going to stay longer and maybe go off from there? Yeah, there's certain uh, – definitely can do that. It all depends on what's happening before or after. Yeah, of course. So if I have to, if I have to be somewhere else after, like Island Hunters – we were busy. So, you know, fortunately, we went from pretty much not much downtime in between uh, trips. So in between, you go back to the office, do your work, but then you go off. And there wasn't a lot of downtime. Uh, when I went to Guam, my friend and I stayed an extra day and a half in Guam. Two days, actually. So that was nice. We were going to go to the Philippines, um, but we had all of our gear. So we didn't want to deal with the carne, yeah. which is your document. It basically, it's your passport for your gear, and it's a hassle. I bet. It can be a hassle. It could be easy breezy, or it could be definitely something that's kind of mind-numbing. Now, for your three-person crew, how many? How much gear are you talking? Uh, four. You would think it'd be pretty limited, but we, we actually have quite a bit, just many cases. There's not a lot in each case, but there's half a yeah. dozen cases to a dozen cases. On Island Hunters, you know, again, it's... A little bigger crew than um, House Hunters International, uh, but we still had 14 pieces. With our luggage, probably 16, 16 cases. And some places really screw you with, like, taxes and, and fees. Oh, that's incredible. All that stuff. Yeah, thank God for that being accounted for in terms of the budget because that's oh, yeah. where we're given, you know, we're given, you know, cash or an American Express card or something that's from the company, and a lot of it goes to just excess baggage. Any tales of lost equipment or stolen equipment? You know, knock on something. There's, I've never had that happen. <laughs> My bag has always wound up, you know, I'm, I, again, I've been doing a lot of traveling, so it's bound to happen at some point, or the gear, and so far that hasn't happened. Oh. You've had uh, people, like, watching your stuff while you're shooting? Like, oh, yeah. We've had on, that. On, on location, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I would carry our footage with us, so that the external drives that have all the footage... And then the cards and the card readers and all that stuff. And that – I'm very protective of that. So that usually stays by me. And that's more you know, in the hotel. It goes into the safe. If we're on the road, I pretty much chain it to my arm. Right. And it goes with me on the plane. Strap and so, it to your groin. Absolutely. If, that, that, if, we, if I lose any of that, there's no show. Right. So it's, it's, that's a little stressful. That's actually. the stuff you can't replace is the footage. No. no. Anything no. else is like, okay, something else gets lost. It sucks for the – the gear and it sucks for the person who owns the gear. If it's if it's you know owner operator you know gear, then it's then it's a pretty tough thing. But again, that hasn't happened yet. So for kids growing up in Southern California, we always assume like in the Midwest that I always assumed that you guys would go to Mexico all the time growing up. Did you? I did. Okay. So what was it like? Like, what would you just pile in the car and drive over? What was crossing the border in the eighties like compared to now? Well, in the eighties, I went to. One of the things to do when you were over 18 is my friends and I would go drive to Tijuana. Right. Because you could drink there and drink there and see some good entertainment. See some good entertainment. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, in fact, I'll tell you, I don't know, this is a funny story. My friend and I went, we were 18, and we went to this bar, and a lot of servicemen were at the bar. And we're there, and we're drinking, and we're just kind of watching, you know, just, just, just seeing all that was going on. And we kept seeing the servicemen get up with a girl, walk out of the bar, get into a cab, and leave. Right? One after the other. And then eventually these two girls came to our table and sat on our laps. And my friend's like, we got to go with them. I'm like, dude, we're not getting in a cab with these girls and going. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'm all for, you know, having fun and whatever would happen where we went. But we're not getting into a cab in Tijuana driving out. To, I mean, they looked like they were going out. We could kind of see through the window of the bar like they were just kind of heading out to what looked like in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> right. It's like, we're not doing that. And uh, – my friend was laughing. We were having this, these two girls sit on our laps like, no, we should go. We should go. And I was like, we're not going. And every time I said no to the girl, she would slap me in the face. Wow. Yeah. I was 18. I'm like, stop doing that. She's like, no, we go. We go. I'm like, we're not going. Smack. We go. We go. We're not going. And my friend thought it was the best thing ever, <laughs> which if I were him, I would think it was the best thing ever too. Right. Yeah. So it was just like. Uh, and and you didn't get in the car? No way. No. <laughs> Did you ever find out where they were going? Well, I never – we were there for a little while and what's – the funny thing is that none of those guys ever came back. <laughs> so, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that was my fear. Like, you know, in a perfect world, it could have ended up pretty fun. But like what if they – you know, like I didn't want the what if. Right. You heard stories – you know, now we – of course, the border of Mexico is just pretty notorious. But I mean at the time uh, – was there a time there? Did you as an American – did you even need a passport? Just driver's license. Just a driver's license. That's amazing. Yep. So when did it stop being like you didn't need uh, just a – you needed a passport? I, I would, when did they start carding really hard? I think it was after 9-11 is my guess. Was it that late? I believe so. Yeah, I guess. Uh, Everything changed, man. Everything changed. I'm trying to think actually. You know what? That's not even true because I worked on this show. It was kind of like a survivor and it was in Mexico. We were on – we were in this – we were in the state of Veracruz so on the, the – the Gulf of Mexico. Right. And we were there for a month, and it was one of these shows. It never made the air. Something happened. They pulled it, uh, and it was kind of like a survivor show. It was two teams, two teams of models competing against each other doing extreme sports. Okay. Male so, models or female models? Female or? models. Female models. Okay. With two team Even captains. Better. Two male team captains, and they would compete doing river rafting, rock climbing. So it's like American gladiators almost in a way. But, okay. Yeah. And we were on the Gulf of Mexico. We were there for about a month. And then one of the team captains was here on in the States on political asylum. So he had to sneak across the border both times um, to be part of the show. And on the, on the end of the show, he flew – I don't know how he got into the country, but he came back. He flew into Tijuana and then he, I went to pick him up. So I remember that he didn't have a passport. He didn't need one. All he needed was a driver's license because there was concern that he was – since he was on political asylum, there would be a problem at the border. And I was just like, I'll, I'll get him. He's, there's not going to be any problem. He's got, a, he's got a driver's license. There's no problem. He's got a California driver's license. Not a big yeah, deal. Yeah, those are hard to get. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I went and got him and he became – we flew right through back on the border. So not a big deal at all. Um, so maybe – and that was 2004. So maybe – it was after that that you started needing your passport. I don't, I don't actually know. Build that wall higher, man. Build higher. Uh, but I used to go to Mexico with my family as a kid. We'd take cruises along you know, the, the coast there and go to Mazatlan and Puerto Vallarta. Sure, love and then boat. We, then we, that's right, the love boat. And then we would fly 
and fly to Mazalon and, and just we would stay at the um, this, the Playa Mazalon it's called and we would stay there for a week, ten days every winter or every other winter with my cousins and my aunt and my uncle and do a family trip. Wow, the life, the California life. Yeah, it was great. It was a really I'm fortunate to have done that as well. Like really, you know, I, I look back at the photos like, oh man, we did that. God, we went there a bunch of times. Mazatlan and Puerto Vallarta. So it was, it was a blast. How's your Spanish? I don't speak Spanish. Poquito Espanol. <laughs> we all got to learn. We all got to learn. You ever run into language problems uh, shooting the shows down there, like especially in Costa Rica and Brazil or Belize? You know, all, fortunately, we always had a, um, a local producer, a local, okay, um, a local production assistant. So they were always our interpreter. Yeah. And again, we've dealt with so many uh, Americans and people who spoke English. That we the only real uh, place that we needed someone everywhere we went was Tahiti. Okay, you so, need a French speaker. French speaker, yeah. A lot of Frenchies down there. A lot of Frenchies. Mm, and yeah. then French expats were they the ones shopping for the houses? Uh, this was no. These were again. I can't talk about it too much because these episodes haven't aired yet. Um, Ooh, but these are island exclusive, hunters. Exclusive. Exclusive. Travel trails. You heard her, her first. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, so we had a lot of these were two couples. That were both from here looking for a vacation. Oh, Tahiti. Tahiti sounds nice. Tahiti's nice. Bora Bora is incredible. Yes. That's the place to go, right? Yeah. But again, that's one of those things I think you got to go with it. You got to bring a gal there. It is a you place. You can't go there without. Yeah. I mean, we were working so we could all get together and have dinner. But I would look around and everyone that was there to be on vacation was a, a couple. Yeah. It's like I went to Maui with you. And Jerry and uh, another and Walker, and we were, yep, that was you, us. Where did you say it was? Uh, you, what, what did you say it was? By it was it was a byo byoc. Bring your own chick. To That's the, right. <laughs> right. Byoc for sure. It's a byoc place because yeah. it was all just couples walking on the beach, and then nine o'clock, nobody was around. Nobody, and that was surprising. I loved. I really loved Maui. That was a great time going with you guys. Dave Garrett was there with us. Yeah, and yeah. We had a really really fun time. And that was great surfing during the day and just hanging out at night. But I did remember, like, we went these places that you'd think would be filled with people. And again, it was before I had my girlfriend, so I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And there was nothing. <laughs> nothing. nothing. And the locals don't want to hang out with you at no. all. No. Yeah, they hate you. They do not like us. Um, and that was, that was a trip where, uh, where Walker lost the car keys, the, the, yes. our friend. Decided to go surfing with the rental car keys. And uh, lo and behold, they went to the bottom of the ocean. And we did not find them. No. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was that was not uh, good planning on our part. No, or his part. I think let's just, let's just pin it all fault. on him. He's going to take Walker. the fall on that one. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. All right. Well, is there anything that uh, we can see? You can plug the show that maybe we can see your work on. When is it going to air? The shows you shot. Well, the Island Hunters, the ones that I did, I did twelve episodes, and they start airing this summer. I believe it's the end of July, or beginning of August. Now, is there a host for that show? And if so, do they need one or a replacement? Well, the host of that show is Chris Crollo, who's incredible. He actually owns the company that the show is based on, which is Private Islands Inc. Oh. I don't like this And guy. he's got a magazine called Private Islands, which is a great magazine. And he's a great guy and a great host. And uh, yeah, we're, we're quite chummy. I like that guy a lot. He's fantastic. He's fantastic. He's a good How guy. How dare you? Right in he's my own home. He's a good man. In my own home. You have my, my home. Wife sleeps. sleeps and my children play with their toys. <laughs> with their toys. In my home. <laughs> my home. <laughs> so it's going to air soon. Air the ones I, They're going to air the first season, re-air the first season coming up very soon. And then the... 
newer episodes, the one I've not been seen yet, will start airing again at the end of July, beginning of August. Okay. And then I've done like 12 or about a dozen or so episodes of House Hunters International, probably a little more than that, actually. And those air you know, on all the time. Basis, all the time, yeah. yeah. The Guam one, best of 2014, that one, they air quite a bit. Okay, so we'll look for your name in the credits. Yes. We'll, we'll know what's your handiwork. Director. And what's great about uh, House Hunters International is they actually call us directors as opposed to field producers. Oh, directors. Which is basically the same thing. Yes. Very hoity-toity, though. Very hoity-toity. Very film-like. In fact, when I went and I interviewed for, um, for Island Hunters, the executive producer of the show was like, I see that you, why do you, how come you say, it says um, director here. And I was like, well, they, they call us directors. I mean, obviously we field produce, but we're, they give us the credit as director, so why not take that? He's like, well, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, you're an auteur. Absolutely. Stanley Kubrick. Tony Diamond and me, right? <laughs> Same thing. Same style, really. I make people do. I make people do do takes like forty six times. <laughs> I get them really stressed out. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks for coming. Thank I you appreciate very much. you uh, doing it. This was great. Yeah. Post lunch. Post lunch. We had a nice little coffee coffee date, lunch we date, it, and, and I roped you in coming in here. I I dig it. All right. Well, let's let's uh, sell a show, shall we? Let's do it. All right. Preferably on an island. Let's I'd like that. that. I'd like that. I like it too. All right. No boats though. We're out. Tony, it's good to see you. Thank you very much. Good to see you too, Mike. All right. Tony Diamond, everyone. <laughs>